we're looking at Peter again. So this is the fourth time we'll have uh, thought about Peter together. So the first time was when we had a general introduction about who Peter was, just reminding ourselves about that, and the general idea about what the book was doing. Uh, And then Paul, he spoke on 1 Peter chapter 1. And then Jean, he spoke on 1 Peter chapter 2. So I'm going to give you one guess what chapter I'm going to speak on today. Almost right. So it's 1 Peter chapter 3, as we know. So that's what we're looking at today. And if some of you have read it already, that's going to be a really good bonus. If you haven't read it already, read it later. And uh, we'll be thinking about it and hearing all of the chapter anyway. Some of you might have been using this. It's still not too late to start. So it just gives you a bit of a background about what Peter is and his character and everything. Uh, Some of you might follow it on our Facebook page where every day it's sort of given another uh, section of it so you can follow it there if you want to. And then a few weeks ago we looked at the person and then we looked at where the letters are in the actual uh, Bible. So we're sort of saying, oh yeah, it's sort of the 21st and 22nd book. But something maybe that you've never really thought about is, you know, the Bible has lots of numbers in it, doesn't it? And not just in the book of Numbers either. But it has these numbers, chapters and verses and things like that. And of course, the Bible wasn't written like that in the first place, was it? So I wondered, does anyone know, because you know I like interaction a lot, does anyone remember or know who did that? It wasn't Paul, because he's been busy over the last few weeks. And he was done hundreds of years before anyway. So anyone got any idea? Scholars, so they could write to each other and know they're both referring to the same. Oh, he's sounding very knowledgeable, John does, doesn't he? Oh. so old, I'm <laughs> I heard someone quipping over here as well. John Wesley? Shall I show you a picture? We don't know if it's him, obviously, but this is who did the chapters. Archbishop Stephen Langton. And of course, you can see from the dates, he was around at the time of the Magna Carta, because of course the Magna Carta was 12.15. Okay, I knew you were going to tell me, and you didn't want to look all kind of big about that. So he also did the chapters in the Bible, and that was around 12.27 AD. All right, and of course... He, was, he had a difficult job because it was the Pope who appointed him, but you can read that for yourself because uh, King John wasn't such a, a good king. And then a little bit later, uh, a rabbi called Nathan, he divided the Old Testament into verses in 1448 and a chap called Robert Estian divided the New Testament into verses around 1555. And so even though we're used to having a Bible with chapters and verses, it's the norm, for most of the time that the Bible's been around, that would have been really weird. Because all it was, was words. It wasn't chapter numbers and verse numbers. So aren't we fortunate that we can find anywhere, just like we've heard, if scholars, i.e. ourselves, want to look something up, we don't have to say, oh, it's on the 89th page on the left-hand side, if you've got the same sort of side, same Bible as me, but we can really pinpoint it accurately and say some good things about that. Of course, for about several hundred years, the Bible was just in Greek and Hebrew. Then in the late 
uh, 400s, then the Vulgate came along in Latin, and then around 1600, by the Bible in languages that we can understand started happening. The first Bible, by the way, that had the chapters and the verses was called the Geneva Bible, and that was in 1560. And so that was 61 years before the King James Version came out. And then there's been other really important English versions as well. So we're very fortunate that we can read the Bible in English and other languages that we understand as well. And also, we can just know where things are if we want to look it up. If someone says something at the front or somewhere else, we can say, oh yeah, I can find that easily. This is the front of the Geneva Bible. And uh, one verse of it, For God so loveth the world that he hath given his only begotten Son, that whoever, that's whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And you can look at it yourself and just find out that some of the Geneva Bible wasn't original as such, even though they looked at the Hebrew and the Greek, but a lot of it, about 80%, they got from an earlier version called the Tyndale New Testament or Tyndale Bible. And so, and that's the same with the King James. A lot of the King James isn't original, but it's from Tyndale that they got it from, and the Tyndale was 1526. Let's get on. That was the background. This was a little bit we talked about a few weeks ago, but the main thing we want to do today is think about 1 Peter chapter 3. And John's going to come read it to us just now. And if you can use the mic, John, that'll be good, because then we'll pick it up for the website as well, if you don't mind. Thank you very much. This is in the section, Living Godly Lives in a Pagan Society, almost like today. Chapter 3. Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Your beauty should not come from outward adornments, such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past, who put their hope in God, used to adorn themselves. They submitted themselves to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her Lord. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Husbands, in the same way be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with great respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life, so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Finally, all of you be like-minded, 
be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing because to do this you are called so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it is better, if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. After being made alive, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, to those who were disobedient long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience toward God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand, with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. Thank you, John. If we're going to try and think about everything that's on that chapter, I think your dinner would get burnt. 
because it'll take a long time to talk about it because there's so much there, isn't there? What were sort of, there's five or six sermons and talks easily we could do on that. So what I want to encourage you, if anything whets your appetite that I might say, because really today I'm just thinking about two concepts that uh, John's read about, but if anything whets your appetite, look it up, Google it, and just find out what other things they can learn about, because studying the Bible is brilliant, isn't it? Reading the Bible is so excellent, and if you get the time or can make the time, if you can look things up, either in a book or online, you'll find lots of things there that you just thought, oh, never thought of that before, or oh, wasn't that good, or oh, the speaker kind of briefly mentioned that this morning, but uh, now they're saying a lot more in this uh, page. So if it's something sparks your interest, go for it, look it up. Don't just leave it like that today, but look other things up as well. One online commentary titles this passage, Holiness in Action. And sometimes we think about holiness and it's just something that's in our head and it's just something that you do now and again. But holiness in action is definitely for every day. Every day that we're sort of thinking things, not just with God, but with each other as well. Simply put, I think if we're in a relationship, whether it's a marriage or friends, we're meant to think about the other person and not just ourselves. Last week when Jean was speaking, he was talking about uh, how we should submit to those in authority as, and the slaves submitting to their masters as well. And chapter 3 follows on very nicely from that because now it talks a bit more about what we can perhaps understand, about more relationships that we understand. We're to live in the opposite spirit, Jean was talking about, to those that are around us. And there's this beautiful word. It looks beautiful, and it is a beautiful word. Look at that. How beautiful do you think that word is? Beautiful, isn't it? Hypotassomeni. That's a good word. And what it means is this. Hypo is under. Tasso is arrange. So it means, literally, I place myself under someone and their arrangements. Or, someone else said, I submit to them and their plans. So, that word is great. It's a super word, and it's perhaps a difficult word to think about because we don't want to submit to people, do we? Don't answer that. Don't even let the flicker across your face. But in our hearts, sometimes we don't want to submit to people. We're self-sufficient. We're brilliant. We're groovy and great. We don't need to submit to people, surely. It occurs twice in the New Testament, 1 Peter 3, verses 1 and 5, and it's a form of a command, a continuing action. And so, because it's a continuing a- action, it takes continuing effort to be submitting. It takes committing, uh, continuing thought to submit to people. I know, I've read about it and seen it in films, that some marriages and relationships aren't easy. Maybe you watch Paul Dark, do you? Maybe some of you don't. Maybe some of you have read the books. But tonight, we'll see a relationship, so I've heard, that's not so easy between uh, a lady called Moena. Moena, thank you very much. She has the Cornish influence. Moena and the Reverend Osborne Whitworth. One's a very nice person, 
Wanda, not a very nice person. And we see their sort of relationship a little bit tonight. And we're just sort of thinking, well, that's a story where someone's not in a good relationship, not in a good marriage. But we know, even in this area, Nuneaton, Warwickshire, some people aren't in good marriages either, in good relationships. And so what we hear in a story is often what we can hear in real life as well. Are we to always submit to people? By the way, I'm going to ask lots of questions today. I haven't got all the answers. Because sometimes hard questions certainly don't have easy answers, do they? So I might ask a question, and it's not for us to decide and say, oh yes or no straight away and call out. It's for us to think about and ponder. Because I know for myself, I haven't got all the answers for sure. But we are meant to be godly people. We are meant to live God's way. And so sometimes perhaps we're the ones that should be uh, submitting to people even when it's difficult. But what is submission? We've thought about this Greek word. You know, it's seen as a negative thing by many people. If you submit to someone, cool, that's not very good, is it? That's what people think nowadays, I think, many people in the country. Because like we were saying earlier, maybe you, you think, oh, I need to be self-sufficient. Like sometimes people come to see me to learn the piano and they say, oh, I'm a beginner. And I think, oh, that's great then because they're right at the beginning. I can have a good influence on them. But they come with lots of habits, habits that need to change because they're not really good habits about their timing or their fingering or they've just got lots of, I know what I'm doing. And lots of people come like that for lessons nowadays. And so maybe you might sort of think like that as well. Oh yeah, I can be self-sufficient. I can do DIY. I can watch a YouTube video. And then I can do it myself because I know how to use a machine, whatever machine it might be, because I can look it up online and I can do it myself. Maybe we think if we want to be an excellent Jesus disciple, we can do it by ourselves. We can just be by ourselves, not really interact with many people, but be self-sufficient. But of course, God is calling us to be submissive to people. God is calling us to be submissive to him. The chapter that Paul was talking about uh, a couple of weeks ago, chapter 1, in verse 8 to 9, it says these things. Though you have not seen him, that means God, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So we're all called to submit to God, who we've never seen. And yet that's a great thing, because we know that God says things that are meaningful and meant to be done. You might be saying to yourself, yeah, this submission thing, but didn't John 10.10 say that, come and come to me and you'll have life abundant and live it to the full. Surely, this is one of my questions, surely if we're living life to the full and in abundance, submission isn't part of that. We should be just deciding ourselves what to do and enjoying ourselves and making our own mind up about things. I'm shaking my head. Because we know living life to the full does mean being submissive, submissive to others as well. 
We talked about how the Bible perhaps has changed, having numbers, the chapter numbers and the verse numbers in. But really the message of the Bible hasn't changed. It was written 2,000 years ago, and 1 Peter and 2 Peter, 1 Peter especially we're looking at today, was written to a group of Christians in Turkey. And so the message that Peter was writing to them then is still the same message. We might live in a different culture to them. We might live thousands of years later, and we might live in a different country. But the message is still the same. 2,000 years ago, of course, as well, slaves and women were thought of as inferior. I I wonder, again, another one of my questions, I wonder if today ladies are thought of as inferior. Many of you have better read the book of Proverbs. And right at the end of the book of Proverbs is a brilliant section. Do you remember what it's all about? About a woman. Tell us more. Yeah, the heading of... Have you you met any of these ladies? Yeah, I have. The wife of a noble character is how my Bible sort of says it. And it's great. I'm really blessed because I've got an excellent wife. And I know that lots of people have excellent wives as well. What a blessing. How brilliant that is. It's wonderful. But we know that an excellent and beautiful woman may be attractive on the outside, beautiful on the outside, but is definitely beautiful on the inside. Her character, her quietness, her teachability maybe, is all wonderful. And Peter is encouraging us all to have that quietness of soul, to be beautiful inside. Because marriage and relationships can be a difficult thing. Sometimes two people come together and are really happy, but they're really different. And so being submissive and learning to love and complement each other is an excellent thing. Maybe you go downtown sometimes and you hear other people talking. I know I do it a lot. I like to listen to what other people are saying when I'm downtown. And this is something that they might say maybe. Oh, why did I even ask you out? Or what's that got to do with you anyway? You're the worst thing that's ever happened to me. Oh, just shut up. Do you hear people saying things like that downtown? Yeah. And they make a bit of a... They talk loudly about it, don't they? You don't have to listen carefully. They just la 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 sort of have a bit of a row and talk about it. And maybe if we've got a bit of a wobbly moment at home, we might say something like that as well. We don't really mean it, but we might have a wobbly moment now and again, might we? If something frustrates us or annoys us. But just thinking about what Jean was talking about earlier, sort of last time, about coming back in the opposite spirit. If someone says something like that to you, why don't you say, thank you, I need your help. Oh, I've never thought about it like that before. Oh, thanks very much. You're just the person that needs to help me just now. That would be a, quite a way to stop an argument, but not an easy thing either, is it? If something's frustrating you, sometimes it's just in a wobbly moment, you might just vent it a little bit. But maybe God is calling us all just to say, thank you, I love you, I want to understand what you're saying to me. 
Here's a long bit of scripture, Matthew 5, 44 to 47. But I say to you, love, that is, unselfishly seek the best or higher good for your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may show yourselves to be the children of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on those who are evil and on those who are good, and makes the rain fall on the righteous, those who are morally upright, and the unrighteous, the unrepentant, those who oppose him. For if you love only those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do that? And if you greet only your brothers, wishing them God's blessing and peace, what more than others are you doing? Do not even the Gentiles, who do not know the Lord, do that. So when someone does seem to be frustrated, or does come at you like a bull in a china shop, this is what Jesus calls us to do. And you might think, my character's not made out for that. I'd need to be a superhero to be able to do that. Are we all superheroes? Are we all like the wonderful, original Wonder Woman? Are we like Superman? Are we like my favourite hero, Hong Kong Fui? Or are we like, hmm, the newest Doctor Who? And we'll see what she's like from Christmas, won't we? Are we like these superheroes? Do we need to be a superhero to live like Jesus is calling us to live? Are we meant to be superheroes? There's this verse in Zechariah. You'll perhaps, as soon as I say the word Zechariah, you think, I know what he's going to be saying. It's Zechariah 4, verse 6. Because in whatever relationships we are in, we need God's help. We can sort of be pretty good most of the time. But here's uh, Zechariah talking to Zerubbabel. It's not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. And what we want to do with our character is not just to say, oh, it's all in God's hands. Those things that irritate other people, it's all about God. He'll sort it out when the time's right. That's okay. We still need to take responsibility for our thoughts and our actions. But we can say to God, Lord, with your help, I need to follow you to do what you ask of me. Matthew Henry, he said, a Christian's calling as it invests him with glorious privileges so it obliges him to difficult duties. And he wrote that over 300 years ago. But it's still true. We have those glorious privileges from being a Christian, but we also have the difficult duties because we know what God calls us to do. Someone a lot more modern. Rick Warren, he says, the true test of generosity comes when we don't have a surplus. I want to encourage us to think about that because it's not just a surplus of money. Because if you've got, for example, a few thousand pounds in the bank, then it's easy to give someone 50 pounds, isn't it? But our generosity can be in our time. The true test of generosity comes when you don't have a lot of time and you give that time to someone else. 
The true test of generosity comes when you've had a really tiring week or a rotten week or a hard day at work and someone sort of goes, no, 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 on the way home on public transport. And you say, that's okay, thank you. That's a true test of generosity when we're sort of not feeling so good. And God says, it's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit. Because we can show God's love to other people even when we're not feeling so good ourselves. Now, if you know me, I love technology. Technology is great for doing DIY easier, like we were saying earlier. Maybe it gives you some good cooking ideas, or it maybe help you to learn some languages and things like that. It's all really good. In fact, yay for technology. I love it. Thumbs up for technology. However, technology doesn't change our character. We have to decide that our character needs changing. I need to decide my character needs changing in various ways. This week, as I've been reading through uh, the Bible reading plan, I've come to John 13, and maybe you have as well. And in John 13, verses 3 to 5, we see Jesus' attitude and his actions. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he started a song and dance routine and just saying, look at me or you disciples, it's going to be great over the next few weeks because you're never going to believe what's going to happen because the angels are dancing behind him and he's doing jazz hands. No, not like that at all, was it? What did Jesus do? They were reclining at the table, so maybe smaller tables than this and they were just sort of having a chat together, having a food and just enjoy each other's company but he took off his outer garment and then he went round to people he knelt at their feet because they had dusty feet because they'd have had sandals on and all the dust of the time were there but Jesus would have just come round to his disciples and just knelt at their feet and he wouldn't have done it quickly he wouldn't have just sort of got a quick flannel and say there you go. He sort of took their sandals off and soothed their feet and looked into their eyes and said, I love you. Then he went to another disciple and he did them the same. He'd have knelt at their feet. They were reclining at the table, all dusty feet and everything. But he'd have soothed them, he'd have wrapped his arms around them, his hands around them. And then once he'd cleaned them, he'd have dried them with a towel. And you get the idea how he'd have just gone round his disciples. And about after all this chatting away that they were doing when they were meeting together, I bet you could have heard a pin drop. Because Jesus, the Messiah, cleaning their feet, looking after them, 
And then later in the verse, Jesus says, Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. In the message it says, So if I, the master and teacher, washed your feet, you must now wash each other's feet. I've laid down a pattern for you. What I've done, you do. I'm only pointing out the obvious. How much do Jesus' attitudes and actions influence our actions and attitudes? I've laid down a pattern for you, Jesus says. How much are we following that pattern today? It's easy if I say R, but let me cross out the R. I want you to think about it yourself. My attitude, my actions. How much does Jesus influence your life, your attitudes? Submission isn't such an easy thing, but Jesus commands that we love each other, that we show his love to others. Quick couple of thoughts about another concept. And that's what uh, John read about, and that's in 1 Peter 3.15. That's evangelism. And if someone asks about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. That's evangelism. Now, I don't know if you'd have liked me when I was a teenager. You don't have to answer that. I don't think any of you knew me when I was a teenager. But the thing was this. I was all out for God. When I was at school, I was, there weren't many Christians, but I was called the God Squad. <laughs> and that was all right. And one of the things I used to do was wear a badge. Now, I haven't got the badge anymore, but this is what the badge said. I remember it very clearly. The kingdom of heaven is here. Please ask for details. And I put it on my coat. And I wore it every day. The kingdom of heaven is here. Please ask for details. And people would come and ask me about, what's that badge about? And happily, just like today, I would tell them. I'd sort of give them a testimony about Jesus saving me. And, well, I'd use better language, you know, people that uh, say they'd understand the language. But God maybe is saying not to wear a badge, but to be open. We are the best adverts for God because we know him. Over the last uh, few weeks, months perhaps now, we've been thinking about the empty chair. And I've sort of talked about that every so often. I want us to think about another, quick, uh, another picture, and that is a magnet. Because I feel that God wants us to be magnetic. This is my prayer. Lord, as a church and as individuals, help us to be magne- magnetic. Because as we get to know what other people are saying... They'll get to know what we believe. And as we sort of be Jesus to people, that's going to be fantastic. There's more thoughts about it in the notes online if you want to. But I think being magnetic is a great thing. You might be thinking, why am I dressed like I am as an Olympic athlete? Can you see that? I'm dressed as an Olympic athlete today. You're all nodding, which means you understand I'm dressed like that. Thank you. Do you know, five years ago this week, the London Olympics started? Five years ago. Now, there are other anniversaries coming up, and if you want to, I can tell you all about them. I love history. All these really important dates are coming up as well. But the reason I'm dressed like this is, 
is because five years ago, maybe you thought, oh yeah, the Olympics in London, maybe you went to see it and everything. But then once it was over, it was over. And it's had no more influence on your life at all. Maybe some of these things have had a bit of an influence, but maybe some of them you just think, no, that's nothing to do with me, or don't understand what he's on about. What I want you to remember is this. The Olympics might have lasted two or three weeks, and they lasted that time, and then, unless you're a competitor and you got a gold medal, life wasn't changed. I hope and pray that as we think about this phrase, I've laid down a pattern for you, so God will say, don't just think about it for a few days, and then in five years' time, let it have no influence on you at all. Let it be something that changes you today and tomorrow. So as we dwell on what we might have heard God say to you this morning, so we can say to ourselves, thank you, Lord, I want to celebrate all the good things you've done for me. Not just to be over and done with, but to be uh, lasting and brilliant. There is one psalm I'm going to read three verses over out of, and then I'm finished. It's Psalm 62. Because life can be brilliant sometimes, and sometimes it can be really rotten. But our attitudes need to be the same. We need to be flowing with God. Yes, my soul, find rest in God. My hope comes from him. Truly, he is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress, I will not be shaken. My salvation and my honour depend on God. He is my mighty rock, my refuge. Trust in God at all times, you people. Pour out your heart to him, for God is our refuge. Lord, we thank you for today that you have said things to us. Lord, you've said things to me during the week. Lord, I want you to be the pattern of my life. I want to follow your pattern and help me to think about that and do things about it over these coming days, Lord. Thank you that you are a rock. Thank you that we can put our trust in you. Amen.